I too want to add my welcome to everyone who's watching on television and online. Thank you so much for being with us today. For those of you in the room, would you please welcome our online and television audience? Yeah. Also thankful, last week we had our new membership class. We had 22 people join the church last week. Yeah. I also want to say happy, happy Veterans Day, day late. Happy Veterans Weekend to everyone. I was thinking about that. We have some amazing staff who are veterans. We have BJ and Nathan. Um, I was thinking about my brother-in-law who serves in the Guard, my sister who's on active duty in the Army, and uh, just thank you so much. Uh, for your service. Thank you for that. Coming up uh, in just uh, uh, really a couple of weeks, we're going to launch what we're calling Fraser 365. It's our daily discipleship touch. It's going to be on our app. I hope you have our app. You'll be able to hear daily devotions there and stuff, but I'd like for you to watch this video so you can learn a little more about that. Welcome to Frasier 365, our Frasier app and daily discipleship resource. We've redesigned our Frasier app to serve not only as our hub for our church's communication, but to serve as a daily discipleship resource as we work together to continue overcoming Bible illiteracy. In this app, you will find information about the ministries of Frasier Church, events, and opportunities to connect. Additionally, beginning November 27th, you will be able to receive a new daily devotional each morning that will be a continuation of our sermon series we are preaching each week. To receive the daily devotionals, you will need to go into the settings of the app located at the top right corner, enable push notifications, and select devotions. Then, beginning on November 27th, you will receive a notification at 6 a.m. daily with a devotional in both written and audio forms. I'm so excited. Our Advent series this year is called Pictures of Grace, and we actually have it in written form as well. You can get this on Amazon or Wednesday night. You'll be able to get it in the bookstore. But again, if you have the app, you will get those devotions every morning, and you'll be able to listen to it uh, by audio on your drive to work or whatever may work for you. Uh, I'm excited this Wednesday night as well. If you don't know, we have a Wednesday night worship service over in the East Sanctuary at six o'clock, and uh, I encourage you to be there. We're gonna be talking about a very interesting man who's not talked about a whole lot, and that's Joseph of Arimathea. Had a very important role in Jesus's burial in particular, and so I encourage you to come out and be a part of that. But this morning, we're gonna be in Luke 23. Luke 23. As we've been going through this year-long study of the life of Jesus, we find ourselves now at the crucifixion. And as we come to this place in Luke 23, we're going to start in verse 26. If you're following along in a pew Bible, that'll be page 1049, 1049, if you'd like to turn there. We're not going to read through the text. It's very long. We're going to go through several. We're just going to walk through it. But let's start by praying and asking the Holy Spirit to come and teach us. Let's pray. Father, we come in this moment, and Lord, we just declare our need for you. Lord, with everything that's going on in life, with everything that's happening around us, with everything that's happening within us, uh, Lord, Satan would love nothing more than to distract us in these next few moments. But Lord, you are good and you are here, so we ask that your Holy Spirit, the master teacher, would teach us this morning. Would you speak to us, Lord? Your servants are listening. We pray this in Jesus' good and powerful name, and everybody said, amen. amen. There's a whole lot going on in Luke 23 as it pertains to the crucifixion. I want to look at it through the lens of three particular conversations that Jesus had. One was on his way to the cross. Two happened on the cross. 
But this scene is very brutal in Luke 23. The Romans had perfected the art of crucifixion all the way down to keeping the person alive as long as possible in order to inflict the most possible pain. But our story opens up in verse 26 with something taking place and a new character is introduced and that character is Simon of Cyrene. Verse 26 says, and they led him away, him being Jesus, they seized one Simon of Cyrene who was coming in from the country and laid on him the cross to carry it behind Jesus. That's all really that Luke gives us. So we don't know a lot about this man. We know that he was from Cyrene, which is in North Africa. He was possibly visiting Jerusalem because of the Jewish Passover. Some people say that Simon had become a follower of Jesus. That's why he was in such close proximity with Jesus at this time. If that was the case, maybe the Romans were trying to prove a point. Maybe they were trying to take this young, enthusiastic follower of Jesus and then lay Jesus' cross on him as to say, if you're really going to follow this man, this is where it's going to lead you. It could have been just a sheer act of intimidation. But they're probably trying to send a message to him. So while Simon of Cyrene is carrying Jesus' cross and Jesus is making his way to Calvary, there are uh, what we see is the first conversation. And the first conversation is with a group of women. Let's read the text in verse 27. It says, And there followed him a great multitude of people and of women who were mourning and lamenting for him. Notice that Luke mentions the multitude, but out of that multitude, he also mentions these particular women who are mourning and lamenting for Jesus. But the text says, But turning to them, Jesus said, O daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me. But weep for yourselves and for your children, for behold, the days are coming when they will say, blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, fall on us and to the hills, cover us. For if they do these things when the wood is green, what will happen when it is dry? Now, what's taking place here is that, notice that Luke differentiates this group of women who are mourning and lamenting. Jesus calls them the daughters of Jerusalem. These are different, uh, it's a different group of women from verse 49, where it says that there were women who had followed Jesus from Galilee. So this is a totally different group of women who had been following Jesus around. This particular group of women that's mentioned here are probably professional mourners, These are women who would lament and wail and cry as people were being crucified. It was their way of lamenting the Roman oppression that was taking place in Jerusalem at that time as the Romans occupied the territory. And their lament, their mourning was yet another testimony to what the Romans were doing and how brutal it was. Jesus' words to them here. Notice they're not so much words of comfort as they were are words of warning. Jesus is actually quoting from Hosea 10. The prophet Hosea in chapter 10, verse 8, it says, In the pagan shrines of Avon, Avon means nothingness. That's what pagan worship leads to. It leads to nothingness. And the pagan shrines of Avon, the place of Israel's sin, will crumble. Thorns and thistles will grow up around their altars, and they will beg the mountains, bury us, and plead with the hills, fall on us. Part of what Hosea is warning people like us of is that when our worship of the one true God becomes nothingness, then devastation is sure to follow. And so many times our worship can become nothingness, can it? 
There's two primary ways that our worship really becomes meaningless. One is that when worship becomes all about us, it becomes all about what we want, what we like, and that, and, and things like that. Instead of understanding that worship is, whenever we're gathered here, we're worshiping the one true God. We're not just singing songs we like, we're singing songs that please the heart of the Father, amen? The second way that worship can become worthless or nothingness is in neglect. If you look at any society where worship attendance falls, you'll also see morality fall. They go hand in hand. It's exactly what was taking place in Israel in many ways, and there's a whole lot to that. We don't have time to get in that, but the warning is clear. The warning from God to Hosea, now through Jesus to these women, is very startling, actually. And Jesus tells them that days are coming when the blessed ones are going to be those who actually have no children. The reason why is that those parents are not going to have to watch their children go through these horrible things and suffer. People are going to cry out for the mountains to fall on them, for the hills to cover them. And then Jesus gives this short parable about green wood and dry wood. Notice that the green wood, he's referring to those who are innocent. But he says, how much more will judgment come to those who are guilty, those who are dry, those who have been cut off from the life source that is God? And again, Jesus is warning them, isn't he? He's telling them that you may sit here and you may mourn and you may cry and you may wail, but do you know who I am? Do you know who I am and what I've come to do? Or have you been cut off? He says, if judgment is going to come on those who are young, those who are innocent, how much more is it going to come on those who have separated themselves from God himself? Because again, the question that he's posing to these women are, do you actually know who I am and what it is that I've come to do for you? And of course, the judgment came. 70 AD, judgment comes on Jerusalem. Jerusalem is completely surrounded. It is devastated. And judgment fell on God's people, his chosen people, because they rejected the chosen one. And then for us, once again, this reminds us that our rejection actually matters. Our rejection actually matters. So many times we just want to live life and we just want to go along and get along. We want to live life and we just kind of want to go and do our thing. We want to let other people do their things. And just as long as everybody can just do their own thing, everything will be fine. But again, in scripture, we see that when we try to go do our own thing, it only leads to pain, it only leads to hurt, it only leads to separation, and ultimately, it leads to death. And when we reject God, there are consequences to that. Again, Jesus loves these women enough to warn them of this. And whenever I say there are consequences to rejecting God, it's not that God is in heaven and he just wants to be vindictive. It's not that God is in heaven and he's just looking for us to do something wrong so that he can catch us. The natural consequences of us, whether as individuals or a people, of separating ourselves from God is that that separation has to be dealt with and the sin that comes and emerges in that separation has to be dealt with as well. And our rejection of God leaves God no choice but to honor God our rejection and therefore reject us. And Jesus in this moment, again, he loves these women enough to say, you don't have to do that. You don't have to reject the Lord. I know you're going to, but the choice is yours. And again, he's talking to these women, professional mourners. They're looking at him. They have pity on him. They see whatever, what he's going through all the way through the beatings, through the carrying of the cross to not being able to carry the cross. They see it. And they're emotionally stirred, yes, but you can see something and you can be sincere and you can be emotionally stirred. The question is, 
Do you understand who Jesus is in the midst of it? That's what he's asking them. The second conversation is a very famous conversation. This conversation has to do with the thieves on the cross. Verse 32, we pick it up and it goes from there. It says, two others were criminals and they were being led with Jesus, led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And right here, Jesus prays, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And then the text says, and they cast lots to divide his garments and people stood by watching, but the rulers scoffed at him. He said, he saves others. Let him save himself if he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. Verse 36 says, the soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him some sour wine and saying, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. And then there was an inscription put above him, this is the king of the Jews. All of this is taking place. The scene goes from Jesus not, he can barely walk and carry his own cross. His cross is placed on Simon. They continue to make their way forward. They make it to the place. He's nailed to a cross. He is hung up on the cross. And then all of this is happening around him. The rulers scoffing, the soldiers mocking. All this is taking place. And then there are two people, one on his right, one on his left. And they're in a very different situation. Sheer pain is running through their mind. Panic is. Pain's running through their body. And all of a sudden, one of them begins to speak. Verse 39, one of the criminals who was hanged railed at him, raising his voice to Jesus. Are you the Christ? Save yourself and us. But notice that the other criminal on the cross rebuked him. Do you not fear God since you were under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. Notice that. Notice that the criminal hanging on the cross says that Jesus has done nothing wrong. So many times when it comes to faith, we say things like, well, I, I'm not really into faith. I, I'm more into education. Or sometimes we say, you know, I, I'm, not, I'm not into faith. That's a more intellectual thing. I'm just a common person. I just want to go along, get along, live my life, and have a good life. But notice that you have Pilate, who we saw recently. Pilate, this educated, privileged man, declaring that Jesus is innocent. And now you have a criminal hanging on a cross, a poor, uneducated man, also declaring the same thing. And part of what the crucifixion story communicates to us is that no matter where we come from, no matter our background, no matter what we have or we do not have, all of us can, by the power of the Holy Spirit, look upon this one, Jesus, and see him as the sinless lamb that was slain for our sins. No matter where we are, no matter what we have, no matter where we come from. And then he looks at Jesus in verse 42 and he says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And that famous reply of Jesus back to him, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. This criminal hanging there, knowing that his moments are almost over, his life is almost over. He knows a few things about Jesus. He knows that Jesus is the Christ, he is the Messiah. 
He knows that Jesus is in the business of salvation. That's what he's asking about. He knows that Jesus is innocent, although he's been hung on a cross as guilty. And he knows Jesus has a kingdom and that he's going to inherit that kingdom. And so he says, remember me. And Jesus says, today you'll be with me in paradise. Paradise is another way of saying Abraham's side. That's how it's interpreted in some places, especially in the Old Testament. It's a place of peace. It's not the final resting place which we will enter in the new heavens and new earth, but it is a place of peace where the righteous go. I want you to notice something. Notice that the women remind us that our rejection of God matters. Our rejection of God matters. But this thief on the cross teaches us and reminds us that, that Jesus' reception of us also matters. It is true that our rejection matters, but it is also true that Jesus' reception matters. Even this criminal, this criminal that is guilty as charged, in the last few moments of his life, he experiences grace and an embrace from Jesus that changes his eternity forever. Absolutely forever. He knew he was the Messiah. He knew he worked in the business of salvation. He knew he was innocent. He knew he had a kingdom that he was inheriting. And that's about all he knew. He didn't have the opportunity to go to all the Bible studies you've had the opportunity to go to. He didn't have the opportunity to skip all the Bible studies that you skipped. He didn't have that. He knew a few things, but they were essential. And then he looks at Jesus while he's hanging on a cross and he asks the simple question, can I come? Can I come with you? And Jesus says, yes, you can. I promise you, if you'll ask Jesus, can I come with you? He will say, yes, you can. Even you. You can. That was the second conversation. The first one with the women, our rejection matters. The second one with the thief, the criminal on the cross, Jesus' reception matters. And then the third one, verse 44. It was now about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. While the sun's light failed, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. At this moment, heaven fell silent. The angels watched on. There was a centurion standing nearby, a Roman soldier. And then for a third time, someone said Jesus was innocent. Pilate said it. Criminal on the cross said it. Then after Jesus says these famous words, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit, and having said that, he breathed his last. The centurion looked at Jesus and he said, Surely this man was innocent. A third time, confirming Jesus' innocence. And then all of a sudden, you begin 
to hear something. The text tells us that the crowd began to break up. You know what it's like to be in a crowd when something serious is going on or has taken place. It's a slow breaking up. People begin to inch away one by one. But as the crowd is breaking up, you can hear something. The text tells us as the crowd is breaking up, there is a low thud that begins. It starts softly at first and then it increases. And it gets louder and it gets louder. The thud is that as the people are walking away, something has changed in the atmosphere. And the text says they began to beat their chest. Something happened in this moment that was so stunning. Something happened in this moment that was so different than all the other crucifixions that the Romans had executed. Something happened in this moment of darkness and curtain being torn that people began to back away And just do that. These three conversations weave together a narrative for us here. But they leave us with some questions, in particular one. I think the big question is which one in the story are you right now? Do you find yourself being like one of the professional mourners? You can see something and you can maybe empathize or sympathize with it depending on your life. Maybe you can look at something even look at religious things and be emotionally stirred. Maybe it's the things of the church. Maybe the fellowship is inspiring and helpful. Maybe the music stirs something deep inside of you. But the question is, do you have a real connection with the Messiah? Or maybe you find yourselves like maybe one of the criminals on the cross, the question is, which one? Are you the one that's just yelling at God, wanting him to do what you want him to do? Or do you find yourself being like that criminal, that you see Jesus in his innocence, you see Jesus in his sacrifice, you see him as the Messiah, you see him as the king, and he has a kingdom. And maybe you just need to ask him, can I come with you? Maybe you just need to say, you know, I've done this on my own for a while, I've walked the path I wanted to walk for a while. Can I come with you? I promise you he'll let you. But can you say what Jesus said here? 
Can you say, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit? In fact, if you're a Christian in the room, I want to ask you, have you said that? Have you ever said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit, all of who I am, my whole life, down to the very core of my spiritual being, I commit myself to you, no matter if it means I'm headed to a cross. I would dare say that's the only kind of commitment that God will accept. So many times we try to play religion. We can feel something and be emotionally stirred like the professional mourners. So many times we understand prayer. We just spend our time like the thief on the cross trying to tell God what to do. Save yourself, save me. But the criminal, can I come with you? And then Jesus, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Wow. That's a different kind of life. The thief is saying the same thing. Jesus, it's you or bust. It's you or it's nothing at all. Can I come with you? Jesus says, yeah, you can come. Here's how it works. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. I could see the thief on the cross saying, me too. It's not the Bible. I'm just using some sanctified imagination. But can you say, me too? Can you say, I want to pray the way Jesus prayed? Not just the model, not just teach me the cadence. No, I want to say, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. I don't know where you are today. Maybe you need to ask him to come. Can I come with you? But if you're here today and you're a Christian, you really believe, my question is, are you really surrendered? I mean, really surrendered. Or are you still trying to justify yourself, still trying to make excuses, still trying to say one day I will what would it be if a group like this just said, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. No matter the cost, I commit myself to you. Completely surrender, completely sold out. I think there'd be a whole lot of demons in hell that get really nervous. The alternative is that you leave today. There's doors there and there and there, back there, back there, back there, back there, over there. We got a lot of doors. The alternative is that you walk out those doors. And as you walk out, those are the two alternatives. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Totally and completely. Or, or. Just talk with the Father for a moment. What's going to be your response today? 
Father, I pray we would leave this service with no reason to beat our chest in guilt. But Father, I pray that we would be unashamed of the gospel. For it is your power unto salvation. Father, I pray we would lift our hands and maybe for the first time or maybe for the hundredth time say, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. All of who I am. All that I have. Father, I'm tired of running. I'm tired of being like a thief on the cross and just trying to walk my own path, create my own path. I just want to go with you. just want to go with you. Father, I thank you for these who are going to be baptized in just a moment. I thank you that they have prayed that kind of prayer. Said, Jesus, I just want to go with you. May we not only affirm their declaration on this day. But may we reaffirm ours. May we not be ashamed. Because we've been set free to walk out these doors today back into the world with our heads held high knowing that we are sons and daughters of the King. So Lord, may we do that. Whatever business we need to do with you, may we do it here so that we may walk out once again proud and knowing that you are our Papa. Daddy. Father. Thank you, Lord. We love you. We really do. And we thank you for loving us. We pray this in Jesus' good and powerful name. And everybody said, amen.